Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. One of my favorite people that I've gotten to meet over the many years at Outsports is Joanna Lohman. Joanna is a former U.S. women's national team soccer player, a professional soccer player, and just all around absolutely lovely human being. So when Joanna asked me, oh gosh, about a year ago to take a look at her new book, I, I of course, jumped at the chance, and I was so glad I did. Raising Tomorrow's Champions, which she's written with Paul Tukey, really is, it's a special book. One of the things that I like most about it is the storytelling. It, it, this is a, it's a book about taking some of the lessons and stories of the U.S. women's national team and applying it to raising young girls and young women and, and in and around soccer and, and the lessons that, that the teamwork and, and, and hard work and determination, all the important lessons that you learn playing sports and particular soccer uh, teaches those young kids and how it, as the title says, raises tomorrow's champions. I'm thrilled that Joanna was able to join me on my podcast this week. I hope you enjoy the conversation with former U.S. Women's National Team player, professional women's soccer player, and now author, Joanna Lohman. Joanna, thank you so much for joining me. As you know, I absolutely love your book, uh, and, and I appreciate you putting me on the back cover. It really was I mean, I, I called it brilliant, and I really did think it was. I, I want us to start by just talking about some of the stories in the book, because that's one of the things that I thought really resonated with me. What is your favorite, and you may not have a favorite, so you just have to make one up, but I mean, pick one. What is your favorite story in the book? Yeah, no, we, we love your endorsement on the back of the book, Sid, so we so appreciate that. Um, I think... You know, one of the most powerful interviews that we did through the course of writing the book was with Abby Wambach. And we just so happened to interview her on her four year anniversary of her sobriety. And I think Abby has just represented so much in women's soccer when it comes to being your authentic and real self. So Abby talks a lot in the parenting chapter about what parents should say to their kids after sporting matches. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about her relationship with Glenna Doyle and how just, you know, how honest and real they are and how the world has fallen in love um, with the two of them. And Abby is now a step parent to Glennon's children. And she talks about, you know, the influence, the negative influence parents can have on their children, especially in the, on the drive home. And she talks about the three things that parents should say to their kids. One being, I loved watching you play. Uh, two is picking out an instance in the game that you uh, really saw the true spirit of your child. So maybe, you know, your child was the first one to high five their teammate when they scored a goal. You would say something like that. And the third would be just to ask a, a question, you know, nothing critical, um, just really seeing if your child had fun playing that sporting match. And I just felt like that was something so simple yet profound that parents very often get wrong. I think parents tend to criticize their children or want to give them tips and their parent and their children just drown them out. So I just really appreciated that honesty from Abby. And then in the leadership chapter, she talks about when she broke her leg against Brazil and it was the last game before the Olympics. And she calls Lauren Cheney uh, actually from the ambulance while she's on painkillers after breaking her leg and tells Lauren Cheney, who was then 
uh, an alternate for the Olympics, hey, suit up, you're going to be the next player in. So I think Abby, you know, her representation from LGBTQ plus issues throughout the team through her, her, you know, leadership, I think just being able to talk to her and listening to these stories that she told were super powerful for me. The, the first one you talked about, the three things to, to say to your kid on the drive home from, from a match, what I became present with as you were talking was the current fight over trans inclusion in sports. Yeah. And so many uh, adults um, who focus so much on who wins and who loses, and, and it seemed to kind of lose that perspective of, oh, that's not what youth sports are about. They're about yeah. other things. That's when you were talking about that. That's what, as I've had so many conversations with people about trans inclusion, particularly in girls sports, that I was so present with that. Yeah, it's it's so true what you said, and I think we've lost the pure essence of sport. Right, the pure essence of sport is used to unite us. It's used to really teach us life lessons that are you know irreplaceable outside of sport. And when it comes to trans athletes we have this win at all costs mentality. And, you know, I fully do not support this. Raising Tomorrow's Champions is a book written that we need to get back to the true essence of sport. And that's to really unite, not to divide and to provide these opportunities for kids to play and to find the joy that comes with playing, right? It's not the joy in winning and losing. It's the joy of stepping on the field with, you know, peers of your own ages and trying to accomplish a common goal. And that should have nothing to do with gender. I don't think that should just have to do with human beings working together for something beautiful. In all of my time playing sports, whether it was, um, you know, an individual and track and field or, or playing in, uh, in college on a team or as an adult on a team, I know the races that I won and I know the match, the championships that I won. I can't remember who, who I beat or, and I can't remember um, who beat me because, but I remember my teammates. I remember the people around me. I remember the people who I, who I was a part of a community with. And yeah, yeah it just, it, it seems like the conversation, like it gets so much into who's going to beat who. And that's not really what people are focused on who are in sports. They're really focused on the people around them and building community. And, and it sounds like that's a, that's a main message of what your book talks about. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the odds of making it to the professional or Olympic level is like winning the lottery, right, Sid? So for the majority of participants, that's just not a realistic dream. It's the journey and the play itself that provides all of the life lessons. And for me personally, I, I tend to remember more of my losses and my failures because that, that has shaped who I am more than the victories that I've had over my career. And I share a lot of those in this, in this book. And I felt like those were identity shaping moments that were absolutely priceless that without sport, I don't feel like I would be, you know, Joe Loman, the rainbow warrior today, because I wouldn't have fallen on my face, you know, the way that I did with these experiences. And so it's not just, you know, shaping yourself as an athlete, but it's shaping you as an, a human being and who you become. So one of the things that I did um, before our conversation, just to refresh myself on the book, is I went back to the index and I looked at um, who has the most mentions in here. Uh, do you know who the who the who the the woman who has the most mentions is? 
Okay, I'm gonna take a stab at this, but I think it's gonna be Mia Ham. It's Mia Ham. <laughs> Why? Gosh, I mean, there's not even enough words in, in the dictionary to express what Mia Ham has done for this game. I think, you know, soccer, women's soccer came on the scene in 1999. That's when the Women's World Cup uh, happened and at the Rose Bowl and Brandi Chastain hit the winning penalty kick and rips off her shirt and flexes her muscles on national TV. And it was almost like overnight a phenomenon. And, you know, the women had been working tirelessly since 1985 when the first national team was established. And the true household name was Mia Hamm. And she was the one with the commercials with Michael Jordan. You know, anything you can do, I can do better. She was the one who was truly marketed. So she was a household name. She was also the goal scorer, the top player on the team. Uh, she was truly the, I would say, the, the one that set herself apart. Um, and beyond that, Mia was is the true teammate, right? She deflected, I would say, all of the fame onto her teammates and really took it upon her shoulders to, to carry that team through the Women's World Cup. Um, as anyone knows about the 1999 Women's World Cup, the, the players really did all the marketing. They really fought to play in bigger stadiums. They fought to really uh, get it on a bigger stage, even though sponsors didn't necessarily believe they could do it. And you saw the World Cup final sold out in the Rose Bowl. And then they're on, you know, every single magazine, every single television show after that. So it was it was like the moment for women's soccer. And that is when the first professional league launched in the United States. So that launched in 2000. Mia Hamm was on the Washington Freedom um, with Abby Wambach. She was a huge part of that league. They won a championship. And so all of the significant moments throughout women's soccer history has to do with Mia Hamm. Um, now she's married to Nomar Garcia Parra. She has children. She's really advocating for gender equity and equality. You know, she's still all over the television screen. She's just a true pioneer for the women's game. So it's no surprise, um, having played for UNC, the national team, winning multiple championships, that she's the most mentioned player in the book. You, in those late 90s, watching her and then sudden the sudden explosion of attention for the sport. How did that feel, watching her and suddenly that team get that attention? It was, it was life-changing, quite honestly. And I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, so I was close to the White House. And after the 99 Women's World Cup victory, they were invited to the White House to meet Bill Clinton. And as a youth player, I was also invited to get to see them um, celebrate and receive uh, you know, a trophy from the president. And so I was, I was at the White House as they're walking off the bus. And I'm seeing Brian Scurry, I'm seeing Mia Hamm, I'm seeing Brandy Chastain. And I am just awestruck, you know, I was 17 years old playing professionally had always been a goal of mine, but I had never really felt like it was a reality until I saw them walk out of the bus and what they represented to me and the way that they held themselves next to the president of the United States. I think that provided me and, you know, millions of young girls, the inspiration and the motivation to truly believe I could be something bigger than, than what I originally thought. Did you get to go inside the White House? So we went inside like the, the rooms that no one really cares about. So like the library or something like that. And then the ceremony was out on the back lawn. Pretty cool. I've been to the White House one time. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it was, yeah, no, it was one of the best moments of my life. And I still have pictures from that day that I frequently look back on and I and I credit it for a day that really helped me to become who I am. You talked about watching 
watching this team and and Mia and Brandy and get, get that attention and and be celebrated at being life changing. How much uh, do you talk about the the role of role models in the book? We talk about it a lot. Um, we have a chapter called seeing is believing and talking about visualization um, and how the younger players seeing the 99ers really changed their journey within life. We talk, we actually have a chapter on mentorship and how important it is to have someone who's helping to guide your process and your journey, because, you know, truth be told said, like we all need help and seeing is believing. So having those role models that look like you, that sound like you, that you can actually aspire to be like is very, very important. And then having someone there to help you over those challenges and obstacles, because you're going to face it as an athlete, you're going to get injured. Uh, you are going to face some sorts of situation where you're unhappy. You're not starting. Uh, you didn't make a certain team. You got cut. And it's your reaction to those challenges that I think are really going to shape what your future in that sport looks like. As you were playing, you were dying HRC logos into your hair and, and you were you were the rainbow warrior. You made being LGBTQ part and parcel to how people identified you. Is that why? Was it was it that visibility? Was it being that 99er for the for the kid in 2015 who needed that role model? Yeah, I'm so happy you said that. I think I think part of what I feel like my you know, my purpose on this life is to make people feel more comfortable in their own skin, right? So I can personally take risks because I'm in a position of privilege, being a professional athlete, being a woman in the United States of America that a lot of people can't take. And that's, that includes, you know, cutting my hair into amazing patterns, um, HRC logo, logo, you know, rainbow patterns, and really pushing boundaries when it comes to gender expression and that could be uncomfortable for me personally at times, getting called sir, you know, getting confused and, and misgendered. But I truly believe that I am making the path, I would say, more comfortable and, and wider for those who come behind me, just like the 99ers did. And, you know, the response that I got from the fans and the way that they embraced me as a gay athlete, it just provided even more inspiration and motivation to continue to be that strong advocate because I realized how much of a difference it made. Um, having this platform and using it to make a positive difference and to really speak up for a group that's so close to my heart. The second person in the book I wanted to bring up was the person who got the most mentions. And do you know who that is? Anson Dorrance. Why? It's a great question. I think Anson is a true pioneer for the game. He was the coach of the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, he was their second ever coach. He is the coach of UNC. He has the most victories, the most championships in the NCAA. He is just a force of nature. And he was someone that believed that women could be competitive. He believed that women could could play sports on the same level as men. And he treated his athletes, uh, you know, in an in a equal way from the beginning. And I think that was something that a lot of coaches wouldn't have done. Um, Anson was someone who truly like, you know, really breeds competitiveness at his school. He ranks everything, every player is ranked uh, in different areas on the fields. Um, and he's, he's someone that really pushes athletes. And I think, 
the women of, of the earlier generations needed that because I think a lot of them, like April Heinrichs, um, they felt like they didn't belong because they wanted to be competitive. They wanted to play hard. They wanted to play in the same way as the men. And most of the times they stood out for that. So I think Anson was the first to really say, you know what, like, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to have women come to my school and they're going to compete. Um, it's going to be a ruthless competition. And he really built the spirit of the team, I think, from, from the beginning. I really want to dig into that because, of course, for, you know, been running out of sports for 20 plus years. You hear how women are treated differently from men in sports. This is not earth shattering. The way you just put it, that they, that they were treated as competitors by this man and that he was one of the first people to do that. Tell me more about that. How were, how were women in sports treated before that? Yeah, well, first of all, they, they didn't have many opportunities to play, right? And if they were playing from all of our interviews that we've done, um, over 100 players in the history of the women's national team, they all had to play with boys, right? There just weren't that many girls playing in their neighborhoods, in their local areas. So that more times than not, they were playing on a, on a boys team, a men's team. So right there, you feel like you are an outsider. So I think Anson was the first coach to really bring all of these incredibly competitive, athletic, skillful, skillful women together to compete on one team. And Anson had really the, the wherewithal and the fortitude to understand like this is this is the wave, like this is how it's going to be moving um, with Title IX, giving women more opportunity to play, you know, they're gaining skill and athleticism. Um, and, you know, the, the national team players, they've all really played for Anson. I think he's coached the most players in the women's national team history. So he's, he knows what he's doing and um, he's built a system that really creates incredible athletes and soccer players. I think in men's sports, everyone expects every man who takes the field or boy to, you know, be tough and strong, go out there and win. Do girls and women face low expectations? That is, you know, oh, well, yeah, the guys are going to go out there and be really tough and mean and hit hard and fight for the ball, but we'll just take what we get from the women. Is there, is there something to that? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, in chapter one of our book, um, we quote Mia Hamm in an interview that she did post-career talking about how the girls on the field are treated differently than the boys. The boys are truly encouraged to be independent, to celebrate their goals, to be aggressive, to keep the ball and not pass. And girls are taught more to fit in, to be a good teammate. If you score a goal, don't really celebrate. And it's just, it's a completely different attitude. And, uh, you know, those messages subconsciously are being picked up by young girls and you're more taught to be quiet and to fit in than you are the boys. So I do think that there are still, you know, different messages sent to our children, but I do think it's changing. I think it's evolving. I think we're starting to see that equality come through, but it's the groups like the U.S. Women's national team that have been leading that charge, you know, since 1985, because they've been showing the world that um, these are some badass bold women that need to be taken seriously. What did it mean to you when you were representing the United States? I think it was a it was a lifetime goal and and so it was just such an honor to put on that jersey and at the same time I think it's it's such a competitive environment right you're you're fighting for a spot on the national team everyone is vying for that position right so you can't really rest on your laurels you have to be um, on your a game so it's it's hard I think any player in this book that we spoke to said it's a very it's a tough environment to be in because you have to really compete day in and day out and be at your absolute best. 
Um, so you can't really take your foot off the gas pedal. So it was, it was an ultimate goal, but at the same time, I have nine caps with the U.S. Women's National Team. I would have liked to have had a lot more. So it seems like I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of myself for achieving and, and getting to that level, but um, still part of me wonders if there was a professional league during the, you know, the crux of my career, because there wasn't a league for five years, would I have been able to reach higher? Would I have played in a World Cup or an Olympics? Because I never was able to. Well, you did a lot more than I did, so. <laughs> <laughs> I tried hard, um, that's for sure. You know, you, you could have written a book that chronicled the history of the U.S. women's national team or, or, or something along those lines, but what you chose to do instead was, was really take the, the, the lessons from the U.S. women's national soccer team and write a book for kids and parents well, a, a book about lessons learned. And you chose to do that with a dad, yeah. Paul Tukey. Yeah. How did you and Paul meet? And, and, and how did you two become co-authors? So I, was, I had the privilege of coaching Paul's daughter, Angie, who was a huge inspiration for Paul uh, in writing this book. And Angie, really, since she came out of the womb, she's been kicking a soccer ball. And like many girls uh, her age, she wants to make the U.S. Women's National Team. So I think for Paul, he really wanted to be able to help Angie in a healthy and realistic way to achieve her dreams, knowing that the chances of making the national team are incredibly slim. And uh, Paul also, too, was a host dad for a Washington Spirit player. So he got to see up close and personal what real life was for a women's professional soccer player. And, you know, in his brain, he's like, is it really, it's not really all it's cracked up to be, right? You don't make much money, uh, you get injured, you struggle for playing time. So I think for Paul, it was a, a question of, should I really encourage my daughter to achieve this dream, knowing that the end goal is nothing glamorous. So I think it was a, you know, a very valiant uh, intention by Paul to truly help his own daughter in the process help any other father, um, any other mother, any other parents, and any child in that position who truly has a dream of making the national team of, you know, the, the, the dream itself is a wonderful goal. And the journey, if done right, will teach you invaluable lessons that really nothing else can, that only sport really can. And uh, what a beautiful team to look up to, right? The U.S. Women's National Team, such a force, uh, a force for change and for social significance. So, the national team is something truly to be admired and respected. And there's so many lessons to be passed down from them. Give me a lesson that you learned from Paul. The lesson I learned from Paul, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Uh, I think, I think of, you know, I'm not a parent yet. I hope to potentially be a parent starting sometime next year. And I think just the, you know, the difficulties of, of being a parent, I think they're, Parents are very well-intentioned in trying to help your children. And you often want to you know, give your opinions, yell at a ref, uh, talk to a coach, but really you should allow your child to lead that journey. And you should really, as a parent, just take a step back and take a deep breath because all the life lessons that your child is learning in this process are incredibly valuable. And sitting on the bench and getting cut, this is all part of the process and uh, we're all gonna be okay. I have two cats. In fact, I spent about five minutes during this conversation pushing Cece away <laughs> from getting in front of the computer, which she loves to do. I can't imagine having kids. Yeah. That, that, that's, that, that is a foreign concept to me. 
Um, though, though I, part of me, one part of me that would uh, love to have a kid, and I was just talking to my husband about this the other day, I'd love to have a kid just to go cheer for them. And that doesn't mean they have yeah. to play sports. It might be that they do drama or they play the clarinet or they paint. I just, I'd love a kid to go cheer for. Yeah. Not yell at the refs, but cheer for. That part of it, I, I feel like I'm missing out a little bit on. Yeah, you know, having nieces and nephews, I went to my nephew's baseball game the other day and I was getting really into it. And I'm like, listen, Joe, like, calm down. This is what we talk about in the book. And here I am like screaming. But no, it's really fun to support them. And you can see how much it means to the kids. They're always looking over at you. And it's just a really special thing to, to watch anyone that you love kind of go through the process of playing a sport. Uh, last question. Um, the, the summer ahead, it's Pride Month. Do you have a lot planned for the book for yourself now that it seems life is getting somewhat back to normal? Yes. Yeah, no, it's going to be a really busy summer. I have actually my first ever, I, I'm calling them Jolo soccer camps. So it's truly um, an on-field and also off-field like uh, mental and performance development. So I have my first summer camps coming up. I have one in June, one in July, one in August. Uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, book signings with the books. So this weekend I have multiple events. Um, I'm doing a lot of a lot of trainings and hopefully get to start to travel again. Um, and just get back to normal and really get around the country and get to use this book as a, as a vehicle to affect lives. Joanna, where can we pick up this great book? So you can get this book on Amazon, or you can also buy it on our website, which is rtcsoccer.com. The, the copies bought on our website will be signed by both Paul and myself. So a signed copy from the authors. And then Amazon, you guys know where to find that. Well, Joanna, like I said, I really, you sent me this book, I don't know, eight months, a year ago. Um, and I started flipping through it and I'm like, oh wait, this is really good. <laughs> this, this, this is a lot of good stuff in here. Um, so I really appreciate it. I appreciate you being so visible for the community and for girls and women in sports. You know, I'm a big fan of yours and anything that we can do as always, just let us know. Thank you, Sid. The feeling is so mutual. Please do pick yourself up a copy. As I said at the beginning, this, this is storytelling in the book is, is really what's so fantastic and the life lessons that's drawn from it. And, and this is not a book just for parents and, and young girls. This is a book for everybody. I am not a parent and I'm not a young girl. And I really enjoyed it. And, and um, you know, I consider myself a, a women's sports fan. So that part of it was, was, was cool seeing some of the the, the insights from some of the athletes we've been watching for so many years. So again, really appreciate Joanna joining me and I hope you'll come back next week for another episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All.